Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legend of Dragoon podcast. Uh, this has been in the making for a long time. We're finally getting around to it. This, uh, I am your host, Drew Universe, and with me is our co-host, Zikara. The goal of this podcast is to generate a recurring variety series covering the fandom at large, whether it's classic conversations about enjoying the game, to ongoing news, discoveries, and community content. Uh, this podcast also ties in directly with legendofdragoon.org, the global website acting as a central hub for all fans of the game, both casual and hardcore. So, we're going to do a quick background on myself and Zikara. Uh, my name is Drew Universe, or Drew for short. I love the universe just as a concept, fascinated by outer space. Um, I've been an incidental fan of the game since childhood, uh, found it in a demo store in, or a demo station in Toys R Us, and uh, my parents got it for me. So uh, over time, I ended up accidentally becoming a researcher, lore master, and archivist for the game, uh, and that's what most people know me for here, if they do know me at all. For anyone who remembers the official website, uh, I'm basically a living recreation of the professor, fictional professor Jonas Van Huckelum, who supposedly took a team with him to uh, the uh, lowlands south of the Atlas mountain range in uh, Morocco to find dragoon skeletons and all this stuff, and it was a whole thing. I'm basically a living recreation of that. Uh, I also do community management for us, and I bake amazing brownies. So over to Zikara. Yes, so my name is Zikara. I usually go by Kara for short. Um, I am a streamer, artist, and also Japanese translator in the LOD Discord community. Um, I am a bit of a dragoon lore nerd. I like to cover a lot of the lore in my streams. And I'm fairly dart obsessed. Outside of LOD, I love, I love uh, Dungeons & Dragons. I have been a DM for over 10 years now. I'm a big animal lover, and I'm very, very happy to be here today for our very first podcast. Indeed. Thank you, Zikara. You're very welcome. So, um, to preface... Preface? Preface. I don't know how to pronounce that, just like a lot of the terms in LOD. Um, <laughs> Probably good to time to mention, mention that, yes, uh, pronunciations may vary. <laughs> yes, pronunciations will vary um, as we get used to it. So uh, any portion of this podcast or any future episodes is likely to have some level of spoilers. Uh, so anyone who has not completed the main story through to the ending, uh, you are encouraged to finish it before listening to the series, unless you really don't care about spoilers. Uh, you have been warned. So, uh, our first actual segment uh, that we have lined up is trivia. Uh, several of the episodes will have a mini segment on trivia where we share some of the random facts that we have learned about the game, either through our research or just stuff that we see in-game. Um, so we're going to do that now. Um, and to preface or preface this... Uh, much of the trivia that we have available today is thanks to the Japanese guidebook. Um, it's kind of the actual official strategy guide, unlike the Prima one that we got in North America that was from just third-party journalists. So this one is actually a full like, 300-page walkthrough, and it has a whole big amount of stuff on lore and game mechanics, and it's just it's, it's a goldmine. Um, so two of those trivia pieces today are from the, the guidebook as well. The first one uh, I wanted to mention is uh, the chance to escape from battle. So throughout the game, there's minor battles, and you can run away from almost all of them. 
um, there's a predetermined chance to run away from all of the creatures in the game. Uh, and it's mo it's basically based on what location you're in and more broadly what disc you're on. So if you're playing on disc one, you're at Helena Prison or the Prairie or somewhere, um, maybe not Helena Prison, you can't run from there. Uh, if you're in the Prairie or the Marshland or something, uh, the escape chance is a little over 50% on average. Uh, this chance decreases with consecutive discs, so by the time you uh, get to disc 2, uh, it's more like 30%. Uh, I should note that the escape chance is not based on your character's speed, so if you have Maru at 110 speed, that won't help your chances at all. Um, and the farther you travel into a given dungeon, the escape rate decreases further, which is a, a weird kind of realism for a game that's so old. Uh, you have a higher chance to escape near the entrance. By the time you get to disc 4, uh, there are even places with a 0% chance of success, so don't even try it. Uh, this is this can be what makes uh, speedrunning really aggravating sometimes when you just want to run away and continue your speedrun, but then you just keep taking damage and it's just annoying. So yeah, uh, only use the escape command in early discs, and by the time you get to disc 3, might be worth uh, grabbing that smoke ball from the optional boss fight so you can always run away. Yeah, and this was something that I had no idea about until very, very recently. Um, it made a lot more sense to me why the smoke ball was so useful when I realized this fact, because although I guess I did realize it in a subconscious level just playing through the game, you know, I, I did notice, I guess, that it, it was easier to run early on, but I, I never knew the uh, details about it. So it's pretty cool to know. Um... But uh, there's actually a lot of really information, a lot of really interesting information that comes from the Japanese guidebook as well. Um, obviously, being kind of a lore person, uh, I do really love lore. And one of the things that I found most interesting, and I know a lot of people don't know, uh, involves actually the Moon Child, uh, Queen Teresa, and the birth of the twins. Um, something that always kind of puzzled me was why Neat specifically was was uh, targeted. I mean, they do say that the Moonchild passed through there, but looking at the world map, I always wondered why, since it seems like going from Deningrad to a ship would be much easier without passing Neat. Um, but thanks to the Japanese guidebook, we actually have a answer for that very question. Um, Apparently, uh, Queen Teresa uh, of Milae uh was originally born in Neat. Uh, she came from there, and her parents uh, lived there. So she returned to Neat to give birth to the twins. Um, apparently, though, not even Queen Teresa herself knew that she had twins. I'm not quite sure how that one works, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a slide here. Um, so apparently, because in Milae Sasso, it was uh, a very ominous sign uh, of b bad things to come when somebody had twins. Uh, the midwives just simply took uh, Shanna upon birth and nobody knew that she was even born. Um, and then, of course, uh, they fled from there with uh, Livia and we basically know how that ends. But it made a whole lot, uh, a lot of puzzle pieces fit in place and that's the kind of thing that I really love um, about the Japanese guidebook is you, you get all these little bits of lore that you otherwise would never know. Exactly. Um, when I first read about it, I was like, 
wait, really? What? Like, and I was doing the machine translation at the time because we didn't have uh, translation volunteers yet. So I'm just kind of getting the estimation of what they're saying. And it, it said something about like birthing law, birthing law. That can't be really. So I was like in a big hurry to, to get help verifying that. And I f found Char and eventually found you. And we were able to uh, ascertain what that really meant. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. Um, I mean, and you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the translation project in general later. But uh, so much has come from that. I feel like the knowledge of the fan base in general has just exploded since we've been able to get that together. Mm -hmm. The uh, next piece of trivia, uh, the last one for now, is uh, more of a broad one. Uh, just dialogue in general. I figured we should cover this for our first episode. Um, Many of us who play the game, we know that when you talk to an NPC uh, two times in a row, you'll get uh, a second batch of dialogue on the on the second press of the X button, and so um, they'll say something you know similar to what they first said. Um, but beyond that, there's also additional dialogue that comes up uh, after certain events in the main story come to pass. So like after disc one is completed, um, after after you defeat uh, Emperor Dole, for example. Um, the new Sergio party is able to, you know, speak more freely and, uh, they're looking for new leadership and, uh, over the course of all four discs, uh, there's an evolving story with almost all the NPCs there having something new to say, um, and trying to come to accept the great commander as their new mayor, the great commander who led some of the Sandoran forces and, you know, all that oppression and stuff. So... Great Commander kind of not liking the style of things, had a change of heart, Dole's gone, fill the vacuum, you know, and the NPCs, uh, the, the, it's, hard, it's hard to justify calling them NPCs because they, when they're written this well, they feel more like real people, they're not NPCs, um, come to, you know, accept that slowly over time, despite their reluctance. And it really fleshes out the world in a whole, as a whole, um, you know, one of the really cool things about that storyline to me was the fact that, uh, you know, the, the great commander uh, is really trying to put a focus of utilizing magic. And uh, you get to see through the NPCs reactions, you know, some of them are, are really on board with that and some of them are extremely hesitant. And it's really kind of interesting to see. I mean, we're seeing history unfold in a sense. Um, it's completely separate from you know, the, the the main story at hand, but, you know, humans are actually gaining magic for the first time and a magic city is appearing. Um, and we've, we're given no reason whatsoever to go back and explore this. It, it's really just luck. Mm -hmm. It depends on uh, the location, of course. You know, sometimes you know, there's a lot of backtracking to Flets, for example. So it's easy to see a couple NPCs say something new in Flets. But there's no uh, drivers, no optional bosses, or other other reasons to go back to Kazas that are directed to you. So uh, it's extremely easy to miss a lot of the extra world building that uh, was put in there. Yeah, exactly. And another uh, really great example of that, and it's another one of my favorite examples of um, kind of like little mini stories that go on in the background, is uh, the the story that centers around Lavitz's mom and the uh, refugee family from Kazas. And I think this one is, is 
might be even more unknown simply because it relies on you to have made a certain choice and talk to certain characters very early on in the game. But when you're going through the prairie, uh, there is a family that you run into, a husband, wife, and young boy. And if you choose to talk to them, and I think there is also a dialogue option that you have to choose correctly in there. Um, could be wrong about that part. But uh, Lavitz will offer the uh, family um, some food and offers them a new home with his mother and himself in their home in Bale. And, uh, of course, the, the family is surprised being, you know, from the enemy country and all of that uh, kind of shows you a little bit about Lavitz's character. But a little fun fact is that if you go back to Lavitz's mom's house throughout the course of the game, you will see another mini story play out. Um, so when the when the family first comes, uh, they they do state that uh, you know she she's happy. She says uh, you know that thanks to the family, the house is lightened up a little bit. But she mentions that the boy is really uneasy around her. Um, if you come back again around uh, disc two or so, um, she she says again that she feels very lonely and feels bad that the boy doesn't uh, doesn't seem to like her. Um, again, later in disc three, if you come back, uh, she'll, she'll say that, uh, she'll be, she'll be really mourning the death of Lavitz and basically saying that she appreciates that the family is trying to cheer her up, but she just can't think about anyone but her, her son. And then finally, when you come back again, uh, the final time, um, she does say that, uh, the boy has finally called her grandma that she that he said he loves her and that it's given her a warm feeling and i think considering the fact that you know the, the little bit that we know of her from the main story is basically you know it's her dream to have grandchildren i think this is one of the most just touching little mini stories that that plays out in the game i really really love this one yeah it's super touching and it's just more proof that, you know, these these characters grow with the world as things change. Absolutely. You know, um, there are various NPCs who say, well, I'd like to travel, but I can't because of uh, the sea dragon or whatever reason. And then you defeat the sea dragon and they're like, oh, now I can go over to the to the other town. You know, and it's like, oh, so they're not just static objects that are a set piece. You know, they're they're people. Yeah. Um, and that's how an NPC should be built. Um at least, at least for your general cast around town. Uh, and also, I wanted to say it—it uh, it just hit me. The, it really says uh, a lot to the relationship or the understanding that Lavitz has with his mother that um, it's okay to just send random people to her house <laughs> while she's there alone. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I always thought like... that was interesting too. Um, that yeah, she's an old lady living by herself, and technically he doesn't know these people at all, but he is offering his his house to them. Like, you're from the enemy country. Come visit my mom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely, I, I think they probably, you know, expect you to suspend disbelief a little bit on that one. I don't think it, it's yeah. necessarily 100% uh, speaking to his character, though obviously it does speak very highly of his character regardless. Yeah. We'd rather, uh, you know, he understands that uh, the civilians of a country are not the soldiers of the country. Yeah, and, you know, I think... I think that's that's a really important uh, distinction um, and one that for the most part, it seems that 
you know, Sandora kind of doesn't understand. And that's one of the reasons that I think the, the Great Commander is such an exception. And one of the reasons that Dart specifically says when they meet, you know, in the Black Castle that, you know, Lavitz would be glad to know that such a such a man uh, exists in Sandora. Indeed. Okay. So from here, uh, I think we're ready to move on to our main segment, if you agree. Yes, I do. Okay, so for our main segment today, uh, we're going to just talk about the, the fandom in general, uh, starting with its history and, and how it's come to where it is today. Um, so starting with the history aspect, uh, in a lot of ways, Legend of Dragoon, uh, its, its fan base, its player base, has kind of evolved the way many fandoms do uh, based on when they were released. So around the year 1999, 2000, 2001, uh, we just barely had uh, the internet coming into the public view including for kids um those who could afford a computer at home got one and uh their kids could use it and i was one of those fortunate kids and uh we would start going on uh message boards uh like old school message boards not quite like irc chat old but you know old forums like gamewinners.com which is where i come from uh along with zikara as well uh in fact um i remember my old alias there I was uh, ultimate dragoon fan with underscores between the words, and uh, I wasn't one at the time, but it ended up being kind of a foreshadow for the for the for the for the present. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, Zikara, uh, you said you don't remember your alias there, so I don't know if I ever met you there before or not. But you were there. I was there, and yeah, I unfortunately don't remember my username. I I believe that I. It was most likely Dart Lover. I, I think it might have been like Dart Lover 89 or something like that, but I don't recall exactly. Unfortunately, I actually had um, for years and years some of the uh, role plays and stuff that we had done in those forms. Um, I had printed them out on my personal printer and had kept them for years. And they were at my parents' house, but unfortunately, several years ago, uh, things got destroyed and they, they ended up... Uh, getting rid of almost everything so those are now lost sadly but uh somewhere <laughs> maybe if i was really really lucky there could possibly still be some remnants somewhere maybe a memento like it neat right maybe <laughs> uh, so yeah um we've been around uh on and off for you know a while um there's even there's some other people from game winners who are still here today like if anyone recognizes the game the name uh game was 234 uh that's jesse he's still around and pretty fabulous in the community um there are also old fan sites uh some of you might remember endiness.net or legendofdragoon.net uh ld chronicles which i temporarily helped dark aqua manage for a little while uh dark aqua is still around a little bit by the way um Amanda Swiftgold's fan site. Um, there, there's so many, and uh, they were all using basic HTML and and beautiful in their in their way. Uh, lots of facts and pictures and video and MIDI MIDI music downloads. Like that was the thing back then. Um, and even the old uh, official website, which, like I said before, is like a pretend excavation dig site thing in Morocco, and they had this whole immersive experience they were trying to do, and I was immersed as a kid and uh, managed to save part of that old website so that was also pretty badass um that is... i think you had some you wanted to mention 
Yeah, um, most of the ones that I was aware of at the time, uh, besides the ones that you've already mentioned, of course, uh, were kind of off-site. Um, one that I was a big part of for a while was actually the uh, Gaia Online Legend of Dragoon community. Um, that was a pretty pretty cool group uh, as well. I have no idea what ended up happening to it, if I'm being honest. Um, I know that Gaia Online is in fact still around, but I haven't been there in who knows how many years. But um, it's a pretty cool roleplay community. Um, I know some of the things they did is they actually had like a, you know, uh, kind of assigned characters for, for people to, to roleplay in certain roleplay groups and all of that um, for like actual um, LOD roleplay, not necessarily original characters. So they did kind of both. And that was a pretty cool thing, in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was that and game winners were the two that I tended to frequent the most. There was actually a time when uh, they were trying to, some of the users were trying to get together and make a, like a novel. Um, this is an old story for me, but basically they were doing a novel and trying to include people from the forum in the book. Uh, and the, It was called Dragon of the West. I don't remember exactly who the author was. It might have been Dragon Master 1138. It might have been someone else. And uh, I had gotten access to it, but I had lost it, you know, because I was a child. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had asked for it later, and they were kind of annoyed with me at the time. I understand I was an annoying kid. Um, but it was remarkable that, like, they, they wrote this whole book. I don't remember how long it was. It was I think it was pretty long. And uh, all the forum members were kind of included there if they wanted to be. Um, there was Ultimate Sephiroth and Sora and all these people. Uh, I remember all those names so Nightblade well. Nightblade Girl, uh, <laughs> Raptor Raya. It's really hard to pull these names out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Man, but, that's great, though. Oh. So some of that history survives. Um, and and uh, there's, it's just a long, rich history of just all those good old times. And uh, since then, you know, we've had the advent of modern social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube and all that stuff to have new ways to express ourselves or more efficiently express ourselves, sharing pictures and stories and everything. Uh, Reddit, our subreddit is growing large as well these days and people are always sharing stuff or having opinions or blogs or or uh, lore questions and I'm usually there for some of that. Um, and it's, it's really transformed into something awesome. Uh, I think it's a testament to how uh, a legacy fandom doesn't have to just be like something you're nostalgic about. Uh, you can still do more with it today, and frankly, uh, I kind of am wary of all of the, you know, the push in typical society of, like, just follow the latest and greatest stuff all the time, and, I, you know, I do check out some new shows here and there and, and new games, but uh, a lot of times I just find a lot of interest in older stuff, and it's like, just because it was made 20 years ago doesn't mean I can't do something new with it now. Exactly. And honestly, I think that's one of the strengths that uh, that we have in the Legend of Dragoon community. I mean, I know that in the last few years, the community has seemed to really take off and kind of explode in this, this you know, second awakening kind of. Um, but, you know, we, we have just so much that's still coming out of it. And constantly there's new fan art. There's uh there's new projects going on i mean we're we're going to be talking about that here in a second and all of that um but i mean there's constantly new new creations and i think that's something that's so cool is you know yeah i mean it's it's great to move forward it's great to get new games it's great to see the progress and the the new things but i think the fact that this game has has really um you know stood the test of time is 
not just a testament to the game itself, but also the power that these old, you know, these retro games can have on us, you know, just as a whole concept. Exactly. I mean, as much as I love how we've grown, it it all started with like all the the basic things that we had from the beginning, like uh, even many, many years ago, just typing the, the word harpoon in all caps lock uh in a comment reply to a post or something because you're excited about the game you love the game and that's how you can show your love for it in five seconds you know, yep there's a comment for harpoon and and uh blazing dynamo and and flame shot and all this other stuff and and uh on the facebook group there's a lot of rodriguez all the time um you know it's 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 the culture uh we've built from all of that just Sony did a good job of of managing to give us some memorable moments, even if uh, a lot of it sounds, you know, like basic childish stuff. Like it it sticks with us for a reason, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I I think it's kind of funny in a sense, in, in a little bit. Uh, it, it's almost as if the Legend of Dragoon community kind of had our own little memes before memes were even a thing. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And like you said, we're we're doing so much cool stuff now. Um, all the projects. I guess we can just segue into that now. Um, if you agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, like like I was saying, I do think that's kind of one of the cool things about, despite the fact that this is a legacy fandom, and um, you know, the the game is over twenty years old now, and yet we still have new things taking place all the time. Um, I know, like I said, there's plenty of artists. Um, probably one of the coolest ones, in my opinion, um, is the Upscale Project. And I'll let you talk more about that because I know you are much more knowledgeable about it than I am. But uh, it is something very exciting. Yes. Yes, indeed. So um, the Upscale Project, um, for those of you who don't know what image upscaling is, it's not like the, the real life, you know, upscale living kind of a thing where it means like, you know, high end uh and, and that made a sense. This is upscale as in just the graphic quality is improved. Uh, so what we're doing is uh, we have basically the Flying Zamboni and Zychronics are the two main drivers for this project. And they've, uh, about a year ago, uh, one of the emulators that plays old games, uh, RetroArch through the Beetle emulation core, got the ability to have texture replacement. And it was an experimental feature and it got the funding it needed for someone to develop it. And... Um, we could start trying to replace textures in the game, which uh, included model textures as well as the background images. Uh, model textures are a lot more difficult to finagle, but we started with the background textures and that just ended up taking over as their, as their primary interest for a while of uh, uh, trying to run these like uh, AI machine learning type of programs that look they, they are given an old image that is either low res or pixelated or has dither in it and tries to upscale it into looking even better uh, without making too many uh, visual artifacts so it still looks natural and, and like the real thing. So that's what's been happening, uh, just trying out all these different trainer models, they're called uh, ESR GAN and all these different kinds to uh, make images that look really nice uh, and they'll be higher resolution, they'll be nicer to look at. We're going to have a when we upload this, we're going to include a link to that project and also a YouTube video that previews what it looks like in locations like VelWeb. 
Uh, I think we also have a preview of Aglas. Aglas is one of my favorites. Aglas um, is beautiful. It, the difference is day and night. Like LODs graphics hold up really well to this day, I think. But it is true that they're, they are low res and they don't look perfect. So to have that uh, upscale quality is actually really nice. Uh, this feature will be available <clears throat> excuse me, through emulation. And uh, that's because we can't really do this with consoles, hardware, physical hardware. It's not really doable. But uh, through emulation, we're making it available through the, the Beetle Core, which has texture replacement. And that will be hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, these are volunteers, so just give them as much time as they need. And uh, when it's ready, everyone's going to know we'll do an announcement. And uh, whoever is emulating the game can uh, download this, uh, basically, an image pack that will sub in these higher quality images as you play the game. And uh, it'll look gorgeous. Definitely really excited about that. Um, like you said, the, the graphics are already really good, especially for the backgrounds. I and mean, there's some beautiful locations um, in, in Legend of Dragoon. But uh, from what I've seen of the upscale project so far, I'm just always so impressed every time uh, they show off new images. It just looks so beautiful. Indeed. I'm, I'm always moved by it when they're... Uh, if you want to follow the progress, anyone listening right now in uh, Discord... Um, or for if you're listening when we upload this, uh, you can head to the uh, Legend of Dragoon Discord server. We'll include a link. And uh, in the upscaling channel, the upscaling topic, uh, they'll often post their uh, works in progress for the current area they're working on. Right now, Zychronix is uh, doing uh, Mayfill, and it, it looks wonderfully deathly. I, I really enjoy how uh, pristine it looks now with uh, all the lack of the grain and all that stuff. Yeah, me too. It, it looks really fantastic. Um, you already mentioned it, but Aglas is definitely my favorite. I know that was probably my one of my favorite locations anyway, even before the upscaling, but it just looks so vibrant and it really looks magical. I mean, it's a magic city. It should, but the, the upscaling that they did just enhances that aspect even more. Yes. Uh, I should note very quickly that, you know, this is meant to be a first pass. It's not meant to be a perfect pass. So uh, this is just to get a quality uh, first draft done so that everyone it can get in everyone's hands and we can start enjoying it and using it. And then, you know, from that point, or even if anyone wants to start now, uh, everyone else is encouraged to try out these AI trainers and uh, try out different models. They're called of uh, how to make these things upscaled and um, try out your own variations or do your own filters uh you could do the whole thing and you have all LOD and grayscale if you want and you know it's a thing um i hope that one day we can have multiple types of graphic mods listed uh, on the website ld.org so that we can have a rich uh, number of options for everybody out there yeah and um i kind of wanted to touch on this before and i i kind of forgot but um you know this also really adds a lot of extra you know replayability to the game um which is something I, I did want to talk about earlier when we we're talking about the strengths of the game and all of that is that you know despite the fact that this game is one that has not really had updates it's very linear it's single player story and all of that um you know it does maintain this this uh aspect of replayability um but uh especially now that we've got this upscale project going and the ability to change out these textures and things like that i think it really kind of even enhances that even more because now it allows people to kind of take control a little bit and make those tweaks that however minor or not that they they you know wish they could have seen i very much agree with that you know maybe it's the thing that if 
if it's a single player game without any branching narratives or any updates is, is keeping us interested this long. Maybe like it's it's the one hundred and eighth soul and we're just it's thralls, we are the moon children. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I've thought things like that before. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh but uh, I think moving on, um, one of the other projects that uh, I really like to spend some time talking about is uh, the translation projects. Um, obviously, being part of the uh, Japanese translation project myself, uh, this is something that I care a lot about. Um, but I also care a lot about it because it's something that has uh, really been extremely beneficial to the fandom as a whole. Like I said before, uh, being able to translate all these different languages, not just Japanese to English, but uh, you know, Japanese to, to Italian or French or all these other languages from Chinese to English, etc. It, it helps us build a really central database of knowledge um, that we can all share around the world as fans. And uh, probably the person who has contributed the most to this project is uh, Shar. Um, they have done basically all the translation work on the Japanese guidebook, um, including the transcription. Um, they've also done the translation and transcription uh, of the manga. I believe they're either completed with it or getting close on the translations of that. Um, and we've also started work on the novel, which they've been doing all of the transcribing for the novel as well. So they have just been a huge help in terms of getting all of this information out to the rest of the fandom um and in fact uh despite the fact that as you mentioned drew you know all of us are volunteers we don't get paid for this we do it because we love it uh char is somebody who um really goes above and beyond uh in fact a uh, funny story that uh, it got to the point where drew had to actually temporarily ban them from the project just because they were uh <laughs> perhaps maybe overdoing it a little bit but um we are extremely thankful for everything that they have done um, and getting all this information out to us. So definitely, if you see Char around in the Discord server, say hi and or thank them. They have done wonders for our fandom. Very much. Oh, God. Char has been one of the, the most helpful people when it comes to volunteers uh, for the last, God, I think it's been maybe two years now since they've, they've been around and they first came in thinking, oh, well, I have a lot of other stuff that I do. I probably won't be around that much. And then it turns, it turns, comes, it turns out to be that, um, they're just doing all the things. And I was like, stop, slow down. <laughs> it was actually a little terrifying temporarily. Um, they're much better about it now. I haven't, I haven't had to ban them in a long time. So we're all very passionate people, uh, you know, and I, I understand that. I mean, I have my hands in so many different projects in the community right now as well that it, it can get overwhelming, uh, you know, when you have real life that, of course, needs to be paid uh, more attention than than fan stuff. But No, uh, that can't be right. <laughs> I mean, some people might disagree, but, uh, you know, I, I, I try to keep things balanced as much as I am a fan and I am very passionate and I accept that fully. Um you know, real life is important. Balance is yes. very important. So yes, if you see Shar around, thank them very much for, for all the help they've done with uh, translating stuff. Um, Absolutely. I would like to do a very quick mention on the same subject that uh, recently we found an entire new strategy guide for the game that, again, 
um, is, is confusing me. Um, now, as I said before, the Prima strategy guide that we mostly know about uh, for North America, it's a small book. Um, it was okay, but it was full of errors, including the Stardust guide was wrong, I think. And um, it just wasn't that remarkable, even though it's what we all remember. Um, that was from a third-party journalist company, Prima Games. The Japanese guidebook is more like an official account. I think it's, it's still an editorial piece, but it's very much sourced the actual developers on everything. This one is, is somewhere, I think, in the middle. I don't know that for a fact, but just this thing is still... The Chinese strategy guide is very comprehensive, and while it's not the super book that the Japanese guidebook is, it has uh, a surprising amount of exclusive information that we haven't found anywhere else. Uh, it has a, for example, this one is the biggest one, I think, to me. It has a whole index of all the equipment in the game and uh, items that you can use. Uh, so both equipment and items. And it has illustrations for every single one of them. And I'm pretty sure these illustrations are official because some of these illustrations uh, are also present in the Japanese guidebook. Uh, which came out first and has the official account and all the, you know, the, what I thought were exclusive renders of the psych bomb. Um, yes, there are actually illustrations of the item magic, like Rave Twister has a graphic. Okay, it's pretty weird. Um, but they have all these illustrations for the equipment, the weapons, the armor, the, the, the pretty hammer actually looks pretty. The soul eater looks like some wild, crazy thing. I don't even... And we're trying to get uh, a copy of it so we can get higher res scans and share that with everybody. That'll be a big article on LED.org as well. Um, so yeah, Zikara, this this has been a great new find, and we would love to find some new uh, volunteers for that. Absolutely, and um, yeah, you know we we do have a decent amount of volunteers at this point, um, but we definitely definitely always need more, especially you know uh, other languages besides just uh english and japanese uh we're lucky that we were able to find somebody who is able to read uh some of the chinese to kind of help us out there um but there's lots of languages that you know we don't have anybody to do translation work for so um it's definitely a huge project huge undertaking but uh it's moving along we have uh, one more project we would like to mention for now that is the dragoon modifier it is one of the most well-known projects, but just in case, you know, first episode of the show. Uh, Dragoon Modifier is a modding suite meant to unify all the various mods available for the game uh, made by people uh, in the community and uh, make almost any two given mods compatible uh, unless they're affecting the same stat or something. So um, this actually started out as the uh, hard mode mod created by Zychronics. And hard mode was just a difficulty increase. Uh, enemies were harder to fight. They had more... Uh, HP and whatnot. Um, since then, it has grown into uh, having both hard mode and hell mode, which is just worse than hard mode. It's almost impossible to win the first boss battle. Um, and it also has a lot of other new features. Uh, you can play as a single character, even after you've collected up to three party members. You can just play as only Dart, only Lavitz, only Rose, whatever. You can play as a duo of two characters in, in battle. Uh, it has an ability to uh, help you play widescreen uh, during battles because battles are actually a full 3D space and you can have natural widescreen during battles. Uh, it can enable beta icons. There's actually developer uh, commented out icons for axes, hammers, 
uh, and different clothing and jewelry that uh, is on the disc but just commented out you can re-enable those um, there's all kinds of cool features like that and you can even have a custom slider to customize the difficulty to your liking on the percentages of like how much hp enemies have um so for that reason and quality of life stuff challenge runs uh that is available for emulators like epsxe uh retroarch duck station i don't know exactly which ones but it's on our website at legendofdragoon.org slash dragoon hyphen modifier very cool that's definitely something that i need to check out i have not done any playthroughs with dragoon modifier but i definitely want to give it a shot it sounds extremely fun it's well worth it um one of my favorite things to do is it has a feature to remove the background music and i love lod music um i don't really want to replace it with anything but because i was the person who ended up researching all of the remixes and covers that are like buried on the internet there's like 300 of them uh i ended up removing the background music with dragoon modifier and you still have the sound effects of the game so i would have the sound effects on and along with that i would play uh one of the remixes so there's like a, a jazz fusion version of the menu theme uh there's like this rave party version of one of the boss battles uh there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can just play uh just from the LED community let alone if you want to insert you know if you want to insert final fantasy music you can do that if you want to do uh, a movie soundtrack you can do that yeah that, that's definitely really cool and I, I love the idea of uh changing it out with uh fan covers of LOD songs um that that's another really cool thing that you know i just kind of want to talk about real briefly is um especially in recent years we've seen an explosion in how many uh, creators are, are creating this kind of content and you know I, I remember when there were very few fan covers of songs um, I think the speed was one of the first ones that I, I remember mm -hmm. finding and, and liking a lot um, uh, a little while later I came across a crazy group trio did a did a few um, actually they they did a song uh, the the Indel's castle uh, royal castle theme uh, they did an instrumental version which I actually walked down the aisle to at my wedding, so uh, clearly it was a beautiful enough piece that even non-gaming people, people who had never touched a video game in their life, were like, wow, that was a really beautiful piece of music. Uh, it's like, yeah, well, it's a fan-made remix of a 20-year-old video game song, but um, you know, we, nowadays, though, there's so many amazing covers out there of all these different songs. Um, you know, like you, you mentioned the the uh, the jazz remix. Um, there's a lot of rock remixes, a lot of metal remixes. Oh yeah. Uh, you were you were just telling me the other day, Drew, um, about the uh, the harp uh, remixes. Yes, uh, I had recently found someone uh, on YouTube who had done two or three songs uh, playing uh, the soundtrack with a harp, which was very very cool. I don't think I ever heard LED music on a harp before. Uh, and I was going to put those in our spreadsheet of our, our master list. <laughs> yeah, that's it's really cool. So I anyway, I really like the idea of kind of being able to curate your own uh, still Legend of Dragoon soundtrack, but uh, kind of fan arranged version. Sounds like a really cool feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fan soundtrack. We should we should do that. Just get a curated list together. I like that. There's there's a lot of weird stuff out there, like like weird, but good. There's a there's a YouTuber called Hit That Jam Slowly. And they have slow versions, just they slowed down the beats per minute or just slowed the song down for uh, Grassy Plains, Volcano Volude, and the menu as well. And it's kind of fun to listen to. 
Really nice. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff. So yeah, community is amazing, y'all. If you haven't realized it yet. <laughs> yeah, for real. The the Legend of Dragon community is is a really strong one and one that I'm very, very happy to be a part of. Okay, so I think at this point we should start tapering off, uh, if you agree, uh, to our closing segment. Absolutely. So um, we're just going to spend a few minutes uh, doing a little uh, recap of other basics that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, for example, the petition. Uh, we have an ongoing petition for a new Legend of Dragon game. Uh, we would like it to be for Sony to be convinced that it's a good financial risk. And uh, one element to our campaign is the petition that I started uh, on the 20th anniversary back in December of 2019. Uh, that stays open indefinitely. Uh, I believe in an indefinite kind of a duration for petitions. So uh, if you would like to sign and you haven't yet, you can head to legendofdragoon.org slash petition uh, for the upload. We'll, we'll have a link on that page if you're not listening live. Um, we also... Uh, are doing a volunteer call-out. Uh, like Dikara said recently, we're always looking for volunteers um, on any number of projects. It doesn't usually matter exactly which one comes first, unless it's something like hot and new, like the Chinese strategy guide. But if you can't do that and you can do something else that works, uh, generally we're looking for translators, uh, info hunters, wiki editors uh, to help me get the in-house wiki further along. If you're interested in any of these projects or would like to see a larger list of projects, you can uh, join the Discord server and uh, go to the Volunteer Tasks channel. You can also go to legendofdragoon.org slash help-wanted, and there's a large number of things there as well. Uh, to get in contact with us, see us on Discord, and uh, you can find me, Drew Universe, or you can write through email at contact at legendofdragoon.org. So that, I think, is a good wrap for our first episode. Uh, we're going to end with the uh, self-promotion stuff for my co-host, Zikara, because they have been an awesome co-host. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I do just want to uh, let everybody know, you've probably seen me advertise a little bit on the Discord group already, but I do have an Etsy shop. Uh, it's called Secret Sachets, and uh, it, you can be found at uh, www.etsy.com slash shop slash secret sachets, or just doing uh, a search on etsy.com. Um, but I have a variety of Legend of Dragoon fan merchandise available on my shop, as well as some originals. Uh, the main things that I have at the moment uh, are Legend of Dragoon, um, Dragoon Spirit pendants, uh, which I'm also doing in keychain varieties. And my current project is to do an actual uh, beaded original necklace for each and every dragoon. Uh, I have done so far uh, Shanna, Rose, Dart, Lavitz, Albert, Kongol, Maru, and I am currently working on Hashel. So we are almost done with the collection. Uh, once I've finished the collection, I'm going to be making some minor tweaks to the designs and releasing them as an actual... Um, 
limited run, but uh, an actual collection. Currently, they've just been one-of-a-kind pieces. I also have um, some art that will be uh, displayed uh, soon on my shop. If you've been following my fluid art projects for the dragoons uh, with the dragon dragoon names in kanji written over them, um, I have just gotten prints made available. Uh, they will be available for sale within the next couple of days. So uh, that's something new and exciting to look forward to as well. And of course, there's other uh, things as well that will be coming in the future. Uh, I've got a few shirts out. Uh, there'll be more of those coming. Uh, plenty of other merchandise as well. So uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about it today, Drew. And uh, hope you will continue to check back. We will have more stuff all the time. Sure thing. Glad to give you the space. Okay. Thank you. So uh, hopefully y'all enjoyed that. Um, first podcast episode is done. I think we did a decent job. Uh, we're going to do a little uh, editing work on, on uh, the back end and get this uploaded uh, hopefully by tomorrow or something. And uh, later in future episodes, we'll look at refining the format, um, perhaps adding some music from the game at parts of it as, as appropriate. We'll, we'll look at it. And if you have any feedback for us, you can let us know. So uh, thank you very much, everybody, for coming in to listen for the past uh, three quarters of an hour. It seems like it's been really fun to finally get this going. And uh, hopefully we can see you next time. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. And thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen. Uh, love you guys so much. Have a great one. Take care, y'all. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.